Hello, and welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast for Edgewood Church in Danville, Illinois. This week at Edgewood. As we go ahead and begin, let's just take a moment and pray, if you would. If you'd bow your heads together, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning, to look into your word, and God, we pray that we would find you. We pray that in the midst of these stories, these accounts of life that happened so long ago, that we would find meaning, that we would find you. God, we pray for this this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're actually not carrying on into the end of Acts this week. We're going to actually take a note from a quotation that happened earlier in Acts. It was, and see if I have control of my slide. I do. Good deal. Back in Acts 13, there was this quote here, where it's in verse 22, and it says, And when he had removed him, that's referring to King Saul, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my, own, after my heart, who will do all my will. This is, this is a pretty fantastic saying right here. A man after my heart. This is God speaking here. In this case, it was God speaking through the prophet Samuel directly to Saul and saying that I have found, in essence, someone else to be a man after my heart. So, but, but as we go back then, let's go back to Samuel. Because this is, this is the verse just before that quotation. And it says, And Samuel said to Paul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandments of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For when the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. Well, let's just pause for a second. I, there's a lot of scripture that I'm going to refer to this morning. But I'm going to summarize some of it for you just because I'm actually going to touch on parts of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. In this account here, King Saul, he'd now been ruling for probably around two years in Israel. He was the very first king. So there was no one else who had been king before. He was setting up president. This is how it's going to be done. And he had been, at this point, there was a lot of war and battle just to hold on to the land because they had come into the midst of many other uh, peoples. They had been down in Egypt and they'd finally come back up to the land. And even though they've been in the land for a little while with varying prophets setting up as judges and ruling over them, he was the first king. And this instance here, he had gone out to battle against the Philistines. He'd actually taken around 3,000 men. And he won a battle. But then the Philistines rallied, and they rallied with 30,000 chariots, 5,000 horsemen, and then it says, men as the sands of the sea, against his 3,000. And then at this point, then the next step was, he, he was waiting. He was waiting on the Lord. He was waiting for Samuel to actually come and to come in with the, what they referenced as the appointed time, which was supposed to be seven days. Day one, didn't come. Day two, didn't come. Day three, day four, five, six, okay, seven. Okay, he's going to come, right? He, he didn't come. Saul, at this point, yeah, he's king over the people, and it's saying that the people were leaving him. They were trembling and afraid because they had about 3,000 people. They had over 30,000 people. They was facing against. 
This, in just military terms, seems like an unwinnable war. In his own wisdom, okay, what am I going to do? But he goes to take a step that is not his own. It's a step that was not right for a king. Because there were prophets, and they were the ones who were to offer sacrifice to God. But King Saul took it upon himself to then offer the sacrifice. Because he's, and in his thinking, I'm doing what's right. Saul didn't come, or Samuel didn't come. And he offers the burnt sacrifice, and immediately after that, just finishes the sacrifice, Samuel shows up. And these are his words to him. And Samuel, he said to Saul, you have done foolishly. And why was it foolish? Because he took upon himself this something that was not his own. But let's be honest, in, in like our own wisdom, you might think, that's a wise move. The people were, the little few people he had with them were beginning to run away. He's just trying to hold them together, you know. He's trying to seek God. But it was, especially as king, there was a, a distinct separation there between prophet. That's why it was serious. But it was also not what Samuel had instructed. And Samuel at this time was the prophet of God. He didn't have the Bible saying, thus saith the Lord. He actually had a person saying, thus saith the Lord. And he didn't wait on God. So, but then this. It says, now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. There's that expression again. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. So fast forward, this is Samuel 13. In chapter 16, it says this here, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, Bethlehem, uh, for he had provided for himself a king among his sons. And what we know is that that was David. It actually turns out to be the youngest of his sons, small, like many things, because it's actually a contrast, because King Saul, worldly wisdom, he fit the bill. He was head and shoulders taller than the other people around him. Therefore, especially in time of war, he was a strong, good soldier. It says he was handsome. He was, he was young. He would have been around 30 when he became king. By this point, likely would have been 32. In the prime of his life, in essence, if you're looking for like a king and you can look up to, that was who it was, King Saul. But yet, rather, God chose David. And we're going to look at some of this contrast here. Because the question is, what went wrong? Didn't it seem like things were being set up in the right way? Here's what it has. Saul followed his own wisdom rather than following God. And it wasn't only there in chapter 13 where he made a sacrifice that he shouldn't make. Because then following, and now into chapter 15, this is the second time which uh, Saul disobeyed. And here, he had been given the command to go and to wipe out the Amalekites. But there, what was different there is he, you weren't to take any of the spoil. It was supposed to be dedicated to the Lord and that you as a king, you as a people are not, and reason being was that the Amalekites had actually worked treacherously and deceived the people as they were trying to come up into the land, even though they weren't looking to attack them. But comes here, this is after the battle. Things, they had conquered the Amalekites, and he was supposed to have destroyed all the sheep, all the livestock, everything, not keep it for himself, even though tradition says you keep the spoils of war. And Samuel came to Saul after the battle, after the victory, and Saul said to him, 
Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, I love this. What then is this bleating of the sheep in my ears and lowing of the oxen that I hear? What? He says, I followed all the commandment. No, you didn't. You, you then kept the best of all the livestock and everything else for yourself when the Lord had said, no, do not keep it. They make this a special dedication. And it was the second time here. And then following, and the, there was again after that, again that same commandment of Samuel saying that no, your kingdom is cut off. And there will be another, and that's where in chapter 16, it's David. So he started asking that question then. We see his failure, but what does it mean? to meet a man or a woman after God's own heart. Well, this gets tough because if you compare, like, God is infinite, man is finite. Uh, another way of saying that, God is limitless and man is limited. Like, they're actually polar opposites in that sense. God is sinless, but man is sinful. God is perfect, but man is imperfect. God is love, but man is difficult to love. So then you come to this expression to be a man or a woman after God's own heart. What does it mean? Because honestly, it's a difficult thing. And notice that this expression is only used twice in all of the Bible. It was used there in Acts and then there in 1 Samuel 13. And it was referred to this man, King David. And then this very specific contrast then to Saul. So like as we get into this, what does it mean? We already started with what it's not. It's not following after your own wisdom rather than God. And, and I got to say, I, I, I fall into this temptation, don't you? Like, Because there, there's a balance. Because God has honestly given every one of us a brain. And I would add that he expects you to use it. But yet, I'm a, I love to play with strategy in that expression. If I just, then so and so and so. Have you ever get into that, like, that's one of the reasons I love board games. Because I love the looking at the strategy of, oh, if I just, they'll never see what came. But that happens in life with us. Don't we have our plans, our expectations, our things? And in so many ways, in this case here, King Saul should have fit the bill. He was what you would expect from a king to be a good king. And notice also, even his son Jonathan, there's not a lot negative said about Jonathan. Because if you're looking in 1 Samuel, so we are saying in 13, when he faced that impossible scenario, the way they actually came out of that, it records it in the end of 13 and then throughout 14, where the Jonathan with his armor bearer went up into the midst of that camp and then slew 20 men. What that did is it instilled fear and upheaval. Them thinking it was a much larger force than just two people began actually attacking themselves in the chaos of that, the few people that Saul did have, which at that point was down to 600 men, actually were able to drive off these Philistines because of the chaos that was covered. Later on, Jonathan is seen as a friend to David. There's nothing wrong seen with Jonathan. And so then the question comes, is what happened? It was King Saul couldn't seem to wait on the Lord. And at times, even in impossible, what seemed like impossible scenarios, both the first one where he's facing against over 30,000 men, or in the second when he's like, I'm just doing what's rightfully mine as the spoils of battle. But he was not. This too is where we need to be careful. 
We need to be careful in that contrast of that I'm not following after and trusting in. If I just, then such and such and such. But there's another thing. Realizing it's not being perfect. That's not what it means. And the reason I say that is if we look at the life of Paul, or David now. So King David becomes anointed there in chapter 16. David later on in 2 Samuel chapter 11 actually commits adultery with another man's wife. Seeks after her. Takes her as his own. Shouldn't have. It's sin. Follows it up with he actually has someone killed to cover up this adultery. He wasn't perfect. He absolutely sinned. And at times sinned in a very big way. Also realized he was not a great father. In 2 Samuel like 13 through 18, and it gives several accounts of what happened with his sons. Amnon was a son who coveted after his half-sister Tamar. He wanted her to be his own. And then through trickery and other things, lured her into his room and forced himself on her. Absalom, who would be the full sister of Tamar, half-brother to Amnon, actually as a result then kills Amnon. But what was David's response in that? Yes, he was absolutely outraged at the fact of what Amnon did, but he didn't do anything about it. Then you have Absalom, who's, who's another son of David, kills his other brother. Absalom then, um, later on, and throughout, uh, it would be 16, 17, and 18, begins to plot to take the kingdom away from David. And actually curries favor among all these leading men and does revolt against David. In fact, drives David out of Jerusalem and you know, there's civil war within Israel. Because his own son was trying to take kingdom away from him. Like you look at it, is it perfect? No. That's not it. Because also, if, if what you were looking for, to use this special expression, was perfection, you could have looked like at someone, for example, like Joseph in Genesis. Joseph led the people of Israel out of the promised land, down into Egypt, and provided salvation for them. He faced adversity, and he passed it with flying colors. He was sold into slavery by his brothers, he was then betrayed while he was sitting in, or by Potiphar's wife and Potiphar. He was then betrayed, betrayed again in prison in not being remembered. If anyone had reason to sin, it was Joseph, but yet there is not one sin recorded in all of the Bible about Joseph. Now, it's not that he was sinless. The reality was he was a type of Christ, and he was actually showing how that they could have salvation, and because he was that picture, they make it a perfect picture and don't actually record sin of it. But if you were looking then to say a man after God's own heart, a woman after God's own heart, well look to Joseph, he was perfect. But that wasn't what this expression was used for. It was given for this man, David. But what is it then? Because we come to it, we said, well it's not, it's not, it's not. It does mean to value what God values, desire what God desires, and continue to turn back to God. I would say that. Because while I can't go through everything with his life, let's talk about some of those examples, though. It was in chapter 16 of 1 Samuel where David became anointed. You know what? He didn't become king until 2 Samuel. There's recorded, uh, I forget just how many years, but number of years and events 
from chapter 16 all the way to like 28 is the last chapter in 1 Samuel. There's accounts in there where that David refused to raise his hand against Saul because at one point Saul had been the anointed of God. Even when Saul sought to kill him in his own kingdom, the courtyard there, and then David would not defend himself. He, in fact, fled from him in that case. There was opportunity for David to kill him in a cave later on. He said, no, because I can't raise my hand against God's anointed. We can also see then where that not only that he didn't do that, he sought after God again and again. When it came to the point of bringing the ark back to Jerusalem, when he became king, he immediately did that. He set up provisions for there to be a temple later on. He, he valued again and again what God desired. And when he did fail, and he failed spectacularly, he repented of it. In the case we mentioned of the adultery, there was a prophet by the name of Nathan who specifically came to him and has that illustration then of a poor man and one, sheep, one lamb and the rich man who took the lamb away and then David in his righteous indignation, where is this poor man, where is this rich man that I can bring justice at him? And that's where Nathan says, you are the man. Because you taken this poor man, one wife as it were, could have had any woman. And David repented. He was grieved by it. Over the loss of then that's the son even from the adultery, he grieved over it. We see again and again where that he was not perfect but he continued again and again to turn back to God and to seek after God. Even to the point where the promise then that was denied King Saul of an everlasting kingdom is given to David. Where that he is then part of the line that Jesus came from, of the house of David, as it says. Let's look at a couple of these things and from some of the writing then of David. In Psalm, we see an example of him being humble. This, so low men are but a breath. The high-born are but a lie. And if weighted on a balance, they are nothing. Together, they are only a breath. We see humility discovered. Now, if you want to take notes, I'm at, there's like eight of these. And there's going to then be a screen at the end that will have them together. But he was also reverent. I call to the Lord, who is worthy of praise? And I am saved from my enemies. Psalm 18 and verse 3. He's respectful. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and my body with grief. Psalm 31. But even in that, who did he seek after? He sought after the Lord. Trusting. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, and whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 27, 1. Also from his writing, loving. I love you, O Lord, my strength. Psalm 18. But notice again and again, the focus of all of these, again, was God. Faithfulness, or faithful. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 23, and verse 6. Obedient. Give me understanding. I will keep your law and obey it with my all my heart. Psalm 119, verse 34. Or repentant. For the sake of your name, O Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Psalm 25, 11. 
So I, I asked you that question, like, what does it mean? I would say it's to seek after God and turn back to him. We see an example of David perfect? No. Far from it. I, but that gives us encouragement. And then I'd ask the question of you today. Where are you at? How are you doing? How are you responding to where you are? Because, and I'll go to another screen in a minute that shows some of those options, in a sense, that we had. One was to follow after our own wisdom. And this is often like that idea, and you've heard it, like pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. I have that capacity. If I can just be strong enough, I can hold on and grit my teeth and go through it. Isn't that often even what we share with you know, young people? Oh, but the debt is overwhelming. This is happening. My children. Well, just if you'll be strong. I don't think it's quite. Like there's some truth to, yes, persevere. But it's not just in and of your own strength. If anything, that was what King Saul tried to do. I think back to especially that first instance in, in chapter 13 where that expression is used, and your kingdom could have been forever, but is cut off. And I wonder, how would have I done if I faced that test? They seem like impossible odds. And then Samuel said, I'll be there. And he wasn't. God, what else was I supposed to do? The answer was, trust in him. Because the answer would have been trust in him even if it was defeat. The answer would have been trust in him even if it was continued hardship. The answer would have been trust in him even if it's take your 600 men that are left and run away. That's not, that's not our gut reaction. It, I, I don't know if it's somewhat of the society and culture that you're raised up in. I, I feel like it was almost like ingrained into my soul. When it gets tough, well, get tougher. I, I, I got to say <laughs> That's my response. That's a gut response that I need to fight against it at times. Because when I look then at Saul, I see almost parts of that and he's saying, that wasn't it because you misstepped. You got these blinders on as though, I must do something. But the something wasn't in line with what I already knew to be true. Because there's something in that step of stepping beyond, he already knew that that was not his place. You know, yes, he wanted God's favor, but you could also say he, didn't, he wanted the people to stop running away. He wanted to do something to give them courage as opposed to necessarily what was right. So we come back to this thought for us. And as we want to desire after that, to be a man or a woman after God's own heart in the midst of our difficulties and things, well, first of all, is it in our own wisdom or not? No, but it's also not being perfect. And I find comfort in that because quite honestly, I think if we all look around the room, if it was the measure was to be perfect, it's like, okay, I lost it. I can then never be a man or a woman after God's own heart. Just can't do it because I already messed up. That's not the truth either. And I think that's what's so encouraging when I think on the person of David, when I realize, yeah, he messed up and he messed up royally. He followed after God. Because th think about, like, with the case of the adultery, this is uh, there just in the middle of his reign. 
if that had been the end, what would have taken over? Because none of his sons at that point really were the right choice. You have um, Absalom actually would have been the firstborn. He was the one who then killed his brother. Yes, he absolutely wanted the throne, but yet um, I'm not sure that he's the right choice to lead this nation of Israel and keep them on path because he did what was right in his own eyes. Yeah, in the case of taking vengeance, maybe he was justified. In the case of taking away the kingdom from his father who was still alive, was he justified? No. There, he felt wronged because he had been shunned. Think or then of Amnon who was controlled by his own desires. It ends up being a son from a marriage of adultery that originally had been adultery of Bathsheba of Solomon who takes over this kingdom. Solomon actually was a godly man. Beginning, all kinds of questions in a sense of realizing that the relationship that started it was a wrong relationship. But he then also came to be a man who did seek after God, was wise, led the nation, grew, and then as far as the high level of the kingdom of Israel, it was under David and then finally under Saul. That was the high point. And you realize then and start thinking, I need to be open and available to seek God knowing that I might not just be able to figure it out. And that question, can I figure it out? Because I also think about this too, because realize it was chapter 16 when David was anointed to be king. And, and that was the start point. His battle with Goliath and that victory there, it was after he was anointed, but yet now he's still serving under King Saul. The victory that he gained there of Goliath against the Philistines, <laughs> yes, he received glory, but it was then to further the kingdom of Saul at that point. You realize he then went into the uh, you know, courtyard and, and things of Saul there. Wouldn't have you wondered, okay, God, I'm doing what you, you commanded. I, I'm patiently waiting here. He is still the king. But I have been anointed king. This is my rightful place. Wouldn't you ever think I, I'm kind of chafing at the bit? Come on, God. Then he's driven out of the courtyard. God, okay, um, I'm no longer even welcome in Jerusalem. And I'm supposed to be king? Then Saul, out of his jealousy, just relentlessly pursues David and his men and on the run, and then David will not allow any of his men or himself to then you know, raise their hand against King Saul because he's anointed. And you're like, but at this point, you must realize, if you're just looking at perspective of, God, do you know what you are doing? That meter has got to be getting up there. And perhaps the fact that I can visualize that maybe, you know, admission of problem and admission of the need for this lesson. But I feel like we can relate to that. I feel like we can relate to the difficulty to trust God that he really has it together, especially when it gets difficult, especially when it doesn't seem like this is just smooth or easy. Because that's, that's often what we put as the goal. If it would just get easier, it'd be all right. In fact, Pastor Matt and I were even talking about, kind of, 
kind of wish it would get a little less stressful. You know, maybe in a couple months it'd be a little less stressful. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to have to things to be easier or less stressful. That in and of itself is not wrong. But if you set that up as the end goal, as apart from desiring to be a person who values what God values, a person who's desiring to have my desires, let them be the same as God's desires. And the person who wants to then continually, repeatedly turn back to God, no matter the situation, no matter how big I messed up. That's what it means to me. And it means then at times, settling in and being okay that things aren't quite right yet. Because I, I, I feel like that, especially because I spent a lot of time on Friday night and Saturday reading through First and Second Samuel and reading again, and that realization, especially because I almost hadn't put it together as to just how many events happened after David had already been anointed king. Because you almost don't even hear of him. In the biblical narrative, he's not even mentioned until Samuel is sent to anoint him as to be king. And then so many of the events that he's so well known for are in a period where he's still waiting and still waiting and still waiting. And things are not going well. And I'm still waiting. Because, you know, we mentioned David seeking after him. Okay, well, what about when he then flees Israel entirely and he's over into amongst the Philistines, he and his men? And then even there, then he, goes, he and his men go away to battle, battle, essentially as mercenaries to have their freedom within the Philistines and battling against other... And people come then, it's uh, Ziglag is the name of the community, and is carried off. I gotta say, you start looking through just tested and tested and tested and tested, and the answer comes back again and again where it's, wait. And the fact that he did, the fact that in through the midst of that, we see him wanting what God wants. Wanting to value what God values again and again and again. I think those are the characteristics that make him this person who's after God's own heart. So how will we respond when we are faced with that <laughs> necking thing that just won't go away? Seek after God. But also then, consider and focus on these. These are some of the things that he's written of. And to be humble, to be reverent, to be respectful, to be trusting, to be loving, to be faithful, to be obedient, to be repentant. And I, I got to got to say, at times with David and you look at his life, you wonder, the more you read through it and realize there were, there were some dark times that repentant may almost need to be up there twice. But yet he was. And God knew all, all, all of those events that were taking place when he said to Saul, before David even comes onto the picture, I have a man after my own heart. And then you have it repeated again in Acts where they're talking about how that God was working in the nation of Israel and he, and he chose not to work through Saul but rather to work through David. 
We have that opportunity. So often we get that opportunity to, to accept that answer of wait, even though we don't want to. We have that opportunity. We have the opportunity to respond like David often. I've, I feel like that's in part even with Katie and I's waiting on adoption. Let's wait on the Lord. Try to think of, are there things that I ought to be doing differently? Because as I mentioned at the beginning, I feel like God has given us a brain and he expects us to use it. He has not given us a brain and expects us to then second-guess him. I feel like that's part of the difference. And so resist that. If I just plan and lean into God in that understanding. With that, on that note, let's close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are able to work. We pray that you would. We pray that you would continue to work in our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' name, amen.